0: Welcome back, everyone, to chapters 10 and 11 of At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. And now, chapter 10. Many people will probably judge us callous as well as mad for thinking about the northward tunnel and the abyss so soon after our somber discovery, and I am not prepared to say that we would have immediately revived such thoughts but for a specific circumstance which broke in upon us and set up a whole new train of speculation. We had replaced the tarpaulin over poor Gedney, and were standing in a kind of mute bewilderment when the sounds finally reached our consciousness, the first sounds we had heard since descending out of the open where the mountain wind wind whined faintly from its unearthly heights. Well known and mundane though they were, their presence in this remote world of death was more unexpected and unnerving than any grotesque or fabulous tones could possibly have been, since they gave a fresh upsetting to all our notions of cosmic harmony.' Had it been some trace of that bizarre musical piping over a wide range which Lake's dissection reported led us to expect in those others, and which, indeed, our overwrought fancies had been reading into every wind-howl we had heard since coming on the Camp Horror, it would have been a kind of hellish congruity with the eon-dead region around us. A voice from other epochs belongs in a graveyard of other epochs. As it was, however, the noise shattered at our profoundly seated adjustments— all our tacit acceptance of the inner Antarctic as a waste utterly and irrevocably void of every vestige of normal life. What we heard was not the fabulous note of any buried blasphemy of elder earth, from whose supernal toughness an age-denied polar sun had evoked a monstrous response. Instead, it was a thing so mockingly normal, and so unerringly familiarized by our sea days off Victoria Land, and our camp days at McMurdo Sound, that we shuddered to think of it here, where such things ought not to be. To be brief, it was simply the raucous squawking of a penguin. The muffled sound floated from the subglacial recesses nearly opposite to the corridor whence we had come, regions manifestly in the direction of that other tunnel to the vast abyss. The presence of a living water bird in such a direction, in a world whose surface was one of age long and uniform lifelessness, could lead to only one conclusion. "'Hence our first thought was to verify the objective reality of the sound. "'It was indeed repeated, and seemed at times to come from more than one throat. "'Seeking its source, we entered an archway from which much debris had been cleared, "'resuming our trailblazing, with an added paper supply taken with curious repugnance "'from one of the tarpaulin bundles on the sledges, when we left daylight behind. "'As the glaciated floor gave place to a litter of detritus,' We plainly discerned some curious dragging tracks, and once Danforth found a distinct print of a sort whose description would be only too superfluous. The course indicated by the penguin cries was precisely what our map and compass prescribed as an approach to the more northerly tunnel mouth, and we were glad to find that a bridgeless thoroughfare on the ground and basement level seemed open. The tunnel, according to the chart, ought to start from the basement of a large pyramidal structure which we seemed vaguely to recall from our aerial survey, as remarkably well-preserved. Along our path the simple torch showed a customary profusion of carvings, but we did not pause to examine any of these. Suddenly a bulky white shape loomed up ahead of us, and we flashed on the second torch. It is odd how wholly this new quest had turned our minds from earlier fears of what might lurk near. Those other ones, having left their supplies in the great circular place, must have planned to return after their scouting trip toward or into the abyss, and yet we had now discarded all caution concerning them as completely as if they'd never existed. This white, waddling thing was fully six feet high, yet we seemed to realize at once that it was not one of those others. They were larger and dark, and according to the sculptures, their motion over land surfaces was a swift, assured matter despite the queerness of their seaborne tentacle equipment. "'but to say that the white thing did not profoundly frighten us would be vain. "'We were indeed clutched for an instant by primitive dread "'almost sharper than the worst of our reasoned fears regarding those others. "'Then came a flash of anticlimax "'as the white shape sidled into a lateral archway to our left "'to join two others of its kind which had summoned it in raucous tones. "'For it was only a penguin, albeit of a huge unknown species, "'larger than the greatest of the known king-penguins.' "'and monstrous in its combined albinism and virtual eyelessness. "'When we had followed the thing into the archway "'and turned both our torches on the indifferent and unheeding group of three, "'we saw that they were all eyeless albinos of the same unknown and gigantic species. "'Their size reminded us of some of the archaic penguins "'depicted in the old one's sculptures, "'and it did not take us long to conclude that they were descended from the same stock, "'undoubtedly surviving through a retreat to some warmer inner region whose perpetual blackness had destroyed their pigmentation and atrophied their eyes to mere useless slits. That their present habitat was the vast abyss we sought was not for a moment to be doubted. And this evidence of the gulf's continued warmth and habitability filled us with the most curious and subtly perturbing fancies. We wondered, too, what had caused these three birds to venture out of their usual domain. The state and silence of the great dead city made it clear that it had at no time been an habitual seasonal rookery, whilst the manifest indifference of the trio to our presence made it seem odd that any passing party of those others should have startled them. Was it possible that those others had taken some aggressive action or tried to increase their meat supply? We doubted whether that pungent odor which the dogs had hated could cause an equal antipathy in these penguins, since their ancestors had obviously lived on excellent terms with the old ones an amicable relationship which must have survived in the abyss below as long as any of the old ones remained. Regretting, in a flare-up of the old spirit of pure science, that we could not photograph these anomalous creatures, we shortly left them to their squawking and pushed on toward the abyss whose openness was now so positively proved to us and whose exact direction occasional penguin tracks made clear. Not long afterward a steep descent in a long, low, doorless and peculiarly sculptureless corridor led us to believe that we were approaching the tunnel-mouth at last. We had passed two more penguins and heard others immediately ahead. Then the corridor ended in a prodigious open space which made us gasp involuntarily—a perfect inverted hemisphere, obviously deep underground, fully a hundred feet in diameter and fifty feet high, with low archways opening around all parts of the circumference but one and that one yawning cavernously with a black, arched aperture which broke the symmetry of the vault to a height of nearly fifteen feet. It was the entrance to the great abyss. In this vast hemisphere, whose concave roof was impressively, though decadently carved, to a likeness of the primordial celestial dome, a few albino penguins waddled, aliens there, but indifferent and unseen the black tunnel yawned indefinitely off at a steep, descending grade, its aperture adorned with grotesquely chiseled jams and lintel. From that cryptical mouth we fancied a current of slightly warmer air, and perhaps even a suspicion of vapor proceeded. And we wondered what living entities other than penguins the limitless void below, and the contiguous honeycombings of the land and the tight mountains, might conceal. We wondered, too, "'whether the trace of mountaintop smoke at first suspected by poor lake, "'as well as the odd haze we had ourselves perceived "'around the rampart crowned peak, "'might not be caused by the tortuous channeled rising "'of some vapor from the unfathomed regions of Earth's core. "'Entering the tunnel, we saw that its outline was, "'at least at the start, about fifteen feet each way, "'sides, floor, and arched roof composed of the usual megalithic masonry.' The sides were sparsely decorated with cartouches of the conventional designs in a late, decadent style, and all the construction and carving were marvelously well-preserved. The floor was quite clear, except for, a slight, except for a slight detritus bearing outgoing penguin tracks and the inward tracks of these others. The farther one advanced, the warmer it became, so that we were soon unbuttoning our heavy garments. We wonder whether there were any actually igneous manifestations below— and whether the waters of that sunless sea were hot. After a short distance, the masonry gave place to solid rock, though the tunnel kept the same proportions and presented the same aspect of carved regularity. Occasionally, its varying grade became so steep that grooves were cut in the floor. Several times we noted the mouths of small lateral galleries not recorded in our diagrams. None of them, such as to complicate the problem of our return, and all of them welcome as possible refuges in case we met unwelcome entities on their way back home from the abyss. The nameless scent of such things was very distinct. Doubtless it was suicidally foolish to venture into that tunnel under the known conditions. But the lure of the unplumbed is stronger in certain persons than most suspect. Indeed, it was just such a lure which had brought us to this unearthly polar waste in the first place.' We saw several penguins as we passed along, and speculated on the distance we would have to traverse. The carving had led us to expect a steep downhill walk of about a mile to the abyss, but our previous wanderings had shown us that matters of scale were not wholly to be depended upon. Albeit about a quarter of a mile that nameless set became greatly accentuated, and we kept very careful track with the various lateral openings we passed. There was no visible vapor as at the mouth, "'but this was doubtless due to the lack "'of contrasting cooler air. "'The temperature was rapidly ascending, "'and we were not surprised to come up a careless heap of material "'shudderingly familiar to us. "'It was composed of furs and tent-cloth "'taken from Lake's camp, "'and we did not pause to study the bizarre forms "'into which the fabrics had been slashed. "'Slightly beyond this point "'we noticed a decided increase "'in the size and number of the side galleries, "'and concluded that the densely honeycombed "'region beneath the higher foothills "'must now have been reached. "'The nameless scent was now curiously mixed with another, "'and scarcely less offensive odor, "'of what nature we could not guess, "'though we thought of decaying organisms "'and perhaps unknown subterranean fungi. "'Then came a startling expansion of the tunnel "'for which the carvings had not prepared us, a broadening and rising into a lofty, natural-looking "'elliptical cavern with a level floor, "'some seventy-five feet long and fifty broad.' and with many immense side passages leading away into cryptical darkness. Though this cavern was natural in appearance, an inspection with both torches suggested that it had been formed by the artificial destruction of several walls between adjacent honeycombings. The walls were rough, and the high, vaulted roof was thick with stalactites, but the solid rock floor had been smoothed off and was free from all debris, detritus, or even dust to a positively abnormal extent. Except for the avenue through which we had come, this was true of the floors of all the great galleries opening off from it, and the singularity of the condition was was such as to set us vainly puzzling. It was like, yet disturbingly unlike, what we had come to recognize as the old one's art, and I was persistently reminded of such hybrid things as the ungainly Palmyrene sculptures fashioned in the Roman manner. Then, quite unexpectedly, We saw certain obstructions on the polished floor ahead, obstructions which were quite definitely not penguins, and turned on our second torch after making sure that the objects were quite stationary. We'll return with Chapter 11, right after these sponsor messages. Still another time have I come to a place where it is very difficult to proceed. I ought to be hardened by this stage, but there are some experiences and intimations which scar too deeply to permit of healing, "'and leave only such an added sensitiveness "'that memory re-inspires all the original horror. "'We saw, as I have said, "'certain obstructions on the polished floor ahead, "'and I may add that our nostrils were assailed "'almost simultaneously by a very curious intensification "'of the strange prevailing fetor, "'now quite plainly mixed with the nameless stench "'of those others which had gone before. "'The light of the second torch left no doubt "'of what the obstructions were.' And we dared approach them only because we could see even from a distance that they were quite past all harming power as had been the six similar specimens unearthed from the monstrous star-mounted graves at poor Lake's camp. They were indeed as lacking in completeness as most of these we had unearthed as most of those we had unearthed, though it grew plain from the thick, dark green pool gathering around them that their incompleteness was of infinitely greater recency. There seemed to be only four of them, whereas Lake's bulletins would have suggested no less than eight as forming the group which had preceded us. To find them in this state was wholly unexpected, and we wondered what sort of monstrous struggle had occurred down here in the dark. Penguins, attacked in a body, retaliate savagely with their beaks, and our ears now made certain the existence of a rookery far beyond. Had those others disturbed such a place and aroused murderous pursuit? "'The obstructions did not suggest it, "'for Penguin's beaks against the tough tissues "'Lake had dissected could hardly account "'for the terrible damage our approaching glance "'was beginning to make out. "'Besides, the huge blind birds we had seen "'appeared to be singularly peaceful. "'Had there, then, been a struggle amongst those others? "'And were the absent four responsible? "'If so, where were they? "'Were they close at hand, "'and likely to form an immediate menace to us?' "'we glanced anxiously at some of the smooth-floored lateral passages "'as we continued our slow and frankly reluctant approach. "'Whatever the conflict was, "'it had clearly been that which had frightened the penguins "'into their unaccustomed wandering. "'It must then have arisen near that faintly heard rookery "'in the incalculable gulf beyond, "'since there were no signs that any birds had normally dwelt here. "'Perhaps, we reflected, there had been a hideous running fight, "'with the weaker party seeking to get back to the catched sledges "'when their pursuers finished them. "'One could picture the demoniac fray between namelessly monstrous entities "'as it surged out of the black abyss with great clouds of frantic penguins "'squawking and scurrying ahead. "'I say that we approached those sprawling and incomplete obstructions "'slowly and reluctantly. "'Would to heaven we had never approached them at all!' but had run back at top speed out of that blasphemous tunnel with the greasily smooth floors and the degenerate murals, aping and mocking the things they had superseded. Run back, for we had seen what we did see, and before our minds were burned with something that will never let us breathe easily again. Both of our torches were turned on the prostrate objects, so that we soon realized the dominant factor in their incompleteness. mauled, compressed, twisted, and ruptured as they were, Their chief common injury was total decapitation. From each one the tentacled starfish head had been removed, and as we drew near, we saw that the manner of removal looked more like some hellish tearing or suction than any other ordinary form of cleavage. Their noisome dark green ichor formed a large spreading pool, but its stench was half overshadowed by the newer and stranger stench, here more pungent than any other point along our route. Only when we had come very close to the sprawling obstructions could we trace that second, unexplainable fetor to any immediate source. And the instant we did so, Danforth, remembering certain very vivid sculptures of the old one's history in the Permian age, one hundred and fifty million years ago, gave vent to a nerve-tortured cry, which echoed hysterically through that vaulted and archaic passage with the evil, palimpsist carvings. I came only just short of echoing his cry myself, for I had seen those primal sculptures, too, and had shudderingly admired the way the nameless artist had suggested that hideous slime coating found on certain incomplete and prostrate old ones, those whom the frightful Shogoths had characteristically slain and sucked to a ghastly headlessness in the great war of resubjugation. They were infamous, nightmare sculptures, even when telling of age-old, bygone things, for Shogoths and their work ought not to be seen by human beings or portrayed by any beings. The mad author of the Necronomicon had nervously tried to swear that none had been bred on this planet, and that only drugged dreamers had even conceived them. Formless protoplasm able to mock and reflect all forms and organs and processes, viscous agglutinations of bubbling cells, rubbery 15-foot spheroids infinitely plastic and ductile, slaves of suggestion, builders of cities, more and more sullen, more and more intelligent, more and more amphibious, more and more imitative. "'Great God! What madness made even those blasphemous old ones "'willing to use and carve such things!' "'And now, when Danforth and I saw the freshly glistening "'and reflectively iridescent black slime "'which clung thickly to those headless bodies "'and stank obscenely with that new, unknown odor "'whose cause only a diseased fancy could envisage, "'clung to those bodies and sparkled less voluminously "'on a smooth part of the accursedly resculptured wall "'in a series of grouped dots,' We understood the quality of cosmic fear to its uttermost depths. It was not fear of those four missing others, for all too well did we suspect that they would do no harm again. Poor devils! After all, they were not evil things of their kind. They were men of another age and another order of being. Nature had played a hellish jest on them, as it will any others that human madness, callousness, or cruelty may hereafter dig up in that hideously dead or sleeping polar waste. "'and this was their tragic homecoming. "'They had not been even savages, "'for what indeed had they done? "'That awful awakening in the cold of an unknown epoch, "'perhaps an attack by the furry, frantically barking quadrupeds, "'and a dazed defense against them, "'and the equally frantic white simians "'with the queer wrappings and paraphernalia. "'Poor Lake! "'Poor Gedney! "'And poor old ones! "'Scientists to the last! "'What had they done that we would not have done in their place?' "'God, what intelligence and persistence! "'What a facing of the incredible, "'just as those carven kinsmen and forebears "'had faced things only a little less incredible. radiants vegetables, monstrosities, star-spawn, "'whatever they had seen, they were men. "'They had crossed the icy peaks "'on whose templed slopes they had once worshipped "'and roamed among the tree-ferns. "'They had found their dead city brooding under its curse, "'and had read its carven latter days as we had done.' They had tried to reach their living fellows in fabled depths of blackness they had never seen. And what had they found? All this flashed in unison through the thoughts of Danforth and I as we looked from those headless, slime-coated shapes to the loathsome, palimpsest sculptures and the diabolical dot groups of fresh slime on the wall beside them. Looked and understood what must have triumphed and survived down there in the Cyclopean water city of that nighted, penguin-fringed abyss whence even now a sinister curling mist had begun to belch pallidly as if in answer to Danforth's hysterical scream. The shock of recognizing that monstrous slime and headlessness had frozen us into mute, motionless statues, and it is only through later conversations that we have learned of the complete identity of our thoughts at that moment. It seemed eons that we stood there, but actually could not have been more than ten or fifteen seconds. That hateful, pallid mist "'curled forward as if veritably driven "'by some remoter advancing bulk. "'And then came a sound "'which upset much of what we had just decided, "'and in so broke the spell "'and enabled us to run like mad "'past squawking, confused penguins "'over our former trail back to the city, "'along ice-sunken megalithic corridors "'to the great open circle, "'and up that archaic spiral ramp "'in a frenzied automatic plunge "'for the same outer air and the light of day. "'The new sound,' as I have intimated, upset much that we had decided, because it was what poor Lake's dissection had led us to attribute to those we had judged dead. It was, Danforth later told me, precisely what he had caught in infinitely muffled form when at that spot beyond the alley corner above the glacial level, and it certainly had a shocking resemblance to the wind-pipings we had both heard around the lofty mountain caves.' At the risk of seeming puerile, I will add another thing, too, if only because of the surprising way Danforth's impressions chimed with mine. Of course, common reading is what prepared us both to make the interpretation, though Danforth has hinted at queer notions about unsuspected and forbidden sources to which Poe may have had access when writing his Arthur Gordon Pym a century ago. It will be remembered that in that fantastic tale there is a word of unknown but terrible and prodigious significance connected with the Antarctic, and screamed eternally by the gigantic, spectrally snowy birds of that malign region's core. Tekeli! Tekeli! That, I may admit, is exactly what we thought we heard, conveyed by that sudden sound behind the advancing white mist, that insidious musical piping, over a singularly wide range. We were in full flight before three notes of syllables had been uttered, though we knew that the swiftness of the old ones would enable any scream-roused and pursuing survivor of the slaughter to overtake us in a moment, if it really wished to do so. We had a vague hope, however, that non-aggressive conduct and a display of kindred reason might cause such a being to spare us in case of capture, if only from scientific curiosity. After all, if such an one had nothing to fear for itself, would have no motive in harming us. Concealment being futile at this juncture, we used our torch for a running glance behind and perceived that the mist was thinning. Would we see at last a complete and living specimen of those others? Again came that insidious musical piping, "Takeley, Lee." Then, noting that we were actually gaining on our pursuer, it occurred to us that the entity might be wounded. We could take no chances, however since it was very obviously approaching in answer to Danforth's scream, rather than in flight from any other entity. The timing was too close to admit of doubt. Of the whereabouts of that less conceivable and less mentionable nightmare, that fetid, unglimpsed mountain of slime-spewing protoplasm whose race had conquered the abyss, and sent land pioneers to recarve and squirm through the burrows of the hills, we could form no guess, and it cost us a genuine pang to leave this probably crippled old one perhaps a lone survivor, to the peril of recapture and a nameless fate. Thank heaven we did not slacken our run. The curling mist had thickened again and was driving ahead with increased speed, whilst the strained penguins in our rear were squawking and screaming and displaying signs of a panic really surprising in view of their relatively minor confusion when we had passed them. Once more came that sinister, wide-ranged piping. Tekeli! Lee, Lee. Tekeli! "'Lee!' "'We had been wrong. "'The thing was not wounded, "'but had merely paused on encountering "'the bodies of its fallen kindred "'and the hellish slime inscription above them. "'We could never know what that demon message was, "'but those burials at Lake's camp "'had shown how much importance "'the beings attached to their dead. "'Our recklessly used torch "'now revealed ahead of us "'the large open cavern "'where various ways converged, "'and we were glad to be leaving "'those morbid, palimpsest sculptures.' almost felt, even when scarcely seen, behind. Another thought which the advent of the cave inspired was the possibility of losing our pursuer at this bewildering focus of large galleries. There were several of the blind albino penguins in the open space, and it seemed clear that their fear of the oncoming entity was extreme to the point of unaccountability. If at that point we dimmed our torch to the very lowest limit of traveling need, keeping it strictly in front of us, the frightened squawking motions of the huge birds in the midst might muffle our footballs, screen our true course, and somehow set up a false lead. Amidst the churning, spiraling fog, the littered and unglistening floor of the main tunnel beyond this point, as differing from other morbidly polished burrows, could hardly form a highly distinguishing feature. Even, so far as we could conjecture, for those indicated special senses which made the old ones partly, though imperfectly, Independent of light in emergencies, in fact, we were somewhat apprehensive lest we go astray ourselves in our haste. for we had of course decided to keep straight on toward the dead city, since the consequences of loss in those unknown foothill honeycombings would be unthinkable. The fact that we survived and emerged is sufficient proof that the thing did take a wrong gallery whilst we providentially hit on the right one. The penguins alone could not have saved us, but in conjunction with the mist. They seemed to have done so. Only a benign fate kept the curling vapors thick enough at the right moment, for they were constantly shifting and threatening to vanish. Indeed, they did lift for a second just before we emerged from the nauseously resculptured tunnel into the cave, so that we actually caught one first and only half glimpse of the oncoming entity as we cast a final, desperately fearful glance backward before dimming the torch and mixing with the penguins in the hope of dodging pursuit. If the fate which screened us was benign, that which gave us the half-glimpse was infinitely the opposite. For to that flash of semi-vision can be traced a full half of the horror which has ever since haunted us. Our exact motive in looking back again was perhaps no more than the immemorial instinct of the pursued to gauge the nature and course of its pursuer. Or perhaps it was an automatic attempt to answer a subconscious question raised by one of our senses. In the midst of our flight, With all our faculties centered on the problem of escape, we were in no condition to observe and analyze details, yet even so, our latent brain cells must have wondered at the message brought them by our nostrils. Afterward we realized what it was, that our retreat from the fetid slime coating on those headless obstructions, and the coincident approach of the pursuing entity, had not brought us the exchange of stenches which logic called for. In the neighborhood of the prostate things that that new and lately unexplainable fetter had been wholly dominant, but by this time it ought to have largely given place to a nameless stench associated with those others. This it had not done, for instead the newer and less bearable smell was now virtually undiluted, and growing more and more poisonously insistent each second. So we glanced back simultaneously, it would appear, though no doubt the incipient motion of one prompted the imitation of the other. As we did so, we flashed both torches full strength at the momentarily thinned mist, either from sheer primitive anxiety to see all we could, or in a less primitive but equally unconscious effort to dazzle the entity before we dimmed our light and dodged among the penguins at the labyrinth center ahead. Unhappy act! Not Orpheus himself, or Lot's wife, paid much more dearly for a backward glance. And again came that shocking, wide-ranged piping. Tekelee! Lee! lee, Take a Lee! lee. I might as well be frank, even if I cannot bear to be quite direct, in stating what we saw, though at the time we felt that it was not to be admitted even to each other. The words reaching the reader could never even suggest the awfulness of the sight itself. It crippled our consciousness so completely that I wonder we had the residual sense to dim our torches as planned, and to strike the right tunnel toward the dead city. Instinct alone must have carried us through, perhaps better than reason could have done, though if that was what saved us, we paid a high price. Of reason we certainly had little enough left. Danforth was totally unstrung, and the first thing I remember of the rest of the journey was hearing him light-headedly chant an hysterical formula in which I alone of mankind could have found anything but insane irreverence. It reverberated in falsetto echoes among the squawks of the penguins, reverberated through the vaultings ahead, and, thank God, through the new empty vaultings behind." He could not have begun it at once; else we would not have been alive and blindly racing. I shuddered to think of what a shade of difference in his nervous reactions might have brought. South Station under Washington under Park Street under Kendall Central Harvard. The poor fellow was chanting the familiar stations of the Boston-Cambridge tunnel that burrowed through our peaceful native soil thousands of miles away in New England. Yet to me the ritual had neither irrelevance nor home feeling; it had only horror because I knew unerringly the monstrous, nefandous analogy that had suggested it. We had expected, upon looking back, to see a terrible and incredible moving entity, if the mist were thin enough, but of that entity we had formed a clear idea. What we did see, for the mist were indeed all too malignly thinned, was something altogether different, and immeasurably more hideous and detestable. It was the utter objective embodiment of the fantastic novelist's thing that should not be— and its nearest comprehensible analog is a vast, onrushing subway train as one sees it from a station platform, a great black front looming colossally out of infinite subterranean distance, constellated with strangely colored lights and filling the prodigious burrow as a piston fills a cylinder. But we were not on a station platform. We were on the track ahead as the nightmare plastic column of fetid black iridescence oozed tightly onward through its fifteen-foot sinus, gathering unholy speed, and driving before it a spiral, re-thickening cloud of the pallid abyss vapor. It was a terrible, indescribable thing, faster than any subway train. A shapeless conjuries of protoplasmic bubbles, faintly self-luminous, and with myriads of temporary eyes forming and unforming as pustules of greenish light all over the tunnel-filling front that bore down upon us crushing the frantic penguins, and slithering over the glistening floor that it and its kind had swept so evilly free of all litter. Still came that eldritch, mocking cry, T'Kali! Lee! T'Kali! Lee! At last we remembered that the demoniac Shoggoths, given life, thought, and plastic organ patterns solely by the old ones, and having no language save that which the dot groups expressed, had likewise no voice save the imitated accents of their bygone masters. We'll return with the final chapter, Chapter 12, next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This is your host, John Hagedorn. This is H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, Chapters 10 and 11. Join us next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the exciting conclusion of At the Mountains of Madness.